Our first reading from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but desire, earnestly desire the higher gifts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We, the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. 
What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here at your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, visit thou our souls and teach us by thy grace each dim revealing of thyself with loving awe to trace. Amen. I think I could say with confidence that there are many things in the scriptures that are hard to understand or maybe, maybe more properly put, that are hard for us to take. And by this, I I don't mean that there are some verses that are hard to translate or to figure out what they mean. That does happen occasionally, but I think there are many more places in the scriptures where if we are honest with ourselves, we have a hard time getting our heads around it because we do accurately know what is being said. The problem is that we don't happen to like it. In our gospel reading today, Luke chapter 4, I think this is one such place. In today's reading, no one has trouble understanding Jesus' words, what they mean or how they fit together. That is not why the crowd on that day and we, when we read this lesson 2,000 years later, that is not why we have trouble with what Jesus says. Instead, we have trouble because it is so clear The crowd didn't get angry with Jesus because he was confusing them or because he was talking over their heads. No, they understood Jesus' words perfectly. And it is that understanding that leads them to take him to the top of a cliff in order to throw him off. But let's step back for a moment and see how it gets to that point. Because here you have in the scriptures, I mean, something that should be great and glorious and beautiful. Jesus comes home. He comes to his hometown of Nazareth where he was raised, and as was his custom, I'm sure he had been there hundreds of times before, thousands maybe of times before, he goes to church. He goes to the synagogue when it's time for church. There he stands up to read, and he reads these words from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And after this, Jesus sits down, and as Pastor Walter mentioned, this is a rather short sermon, but this is what he says. 
Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now that might be short, but it is astounding. And you see that this is not Jesus preaching about what Isaiah said. Jesus is not explaining what the verses mean. Everyone knew these are verses about the servant of the Lord. These are verses about the one that the Lord sends to save his people. The one that the Lord sends to proclaim liberty and good news, to give sight and proclaim God's favor or his acceptance. And here Jesus is not talking about that servant. He is saying that he is that servant. That he is the one proclaiming good news to them. And that in seeing him as that servant, in seeing Jesus as the Christ, then they truly see. And they are favored by God through that. Now we will get to the other verses in a bit, but notice that this is how Jesus begins. With these gracious words, Jesus begins his ministry there. And when, it, when he is home, when he is around his own people, he is not here hiding behind parables. He is not beating around the bush. Jesus comes out and tells it to them straight in a way that doesn't happen very many other times in the Gospels. Jesus graces them with the unvarnished truth. Isaiah was talking about the anointed one, the servant of the Lord, the Christ. And Jesus tells them it is fulfilled in him and his preaching. He has been anointed with the Spirit of God. We heard about that a few weeks ago with the baptism by John in the Jordan River. And Jesus is going around granting forgiveness. This is the word that is used there and translated here as liberty. He is setting them free from the captivity of their sins. The oppression that results from those sins, he is releasing them from. And when the people hear this, they're taken back. They don't really know what to do with this proclamation. And they look around at each other and they, they don't know what to do because, they say, he is one of them. And they, they think they know that he is the son of Joseph. And as they are discussing this amongst themselves, Jesus, being a perfect mind, knows what they are thinking, knows what they are going to say, and so he beats them to the punch. And he says, you are going to say, hey, we've heard that you can do miracles. We've heard that you can heal people or maybe even do something like change water into wine. Why don't you do something like that here and now in front of us? Jesus had just revealed to them his identity. He had revealed to them the fulfillment of all of the scriptures, the fulfillment of the word of God, the key to God's word. And that in him, you have God's salvation in recognizing him as the Christ and the forgiveness that Jesus brings. There is nothing larger. There is nothing more important that Jesus could have revealed to them. There's no greater miraculous act of God than that. And when Jesus talks about them bringing up other miraculous things, things far more minor, Jesus says that he is not going to do them. That is when they get mad. They want to major in the minors. Jesus 
refuses to let them do that. And he brings up the examples of Elijah and Elisha, who also would not do that for the Israelites. They lived at a time when Israel was unfaithful, and so they call people to recognize the true God. Jesus also lives in an unfaithful time, so he calls people to recognize the true God. Because without that, everything else is lost. Being healed of leprosy or cancer or any other ailment is nothing compared to that recognition. That is the sight that Jesus brings to them. That is the freedom and the healing and the forgiveness that he speaks of in recognizing him as that servant. And that freedom and that healing is eternal. Jesus wants them to see that above all things, and he's not going to cloud it with other things, even miraculous things, even things that could be considered good. Jesus is not going to cloud their sight with those things. And they get mad. And whenever we read the scriptures, we have to look at not only how they reacted, how they heard them, but we have to hear the scriptures for ourselves. What do we count as major or minor? If you can imagine a scenario somehow where physical healing were offered elsewhere, but the revelation that Jesus is the Christ and the gospel were preached here, where would you go? Which would be more important for you? Because now in our day, we too are tempted with other messages. We too are tempted by other messengers, especially when things are not going the way that we would like them to go, the way we think they should be going. And if God isn't going to solve our problems, then we find it more tempting to look elsewhere. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray when, when you or someone you love is sick or anything like that. Clearly God tells us to pray in times of trouble. But we as Christians are to see that the good news is not in some miraculous cure. The good news is in knowing that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior sent by God. And we need to recognize that recognition as the ultimate miracle. That that is the answer that God has sent into our lives. And that when we know that, that equips us to face anything else that may happen to us in the world, including sickness or death. As Christians, we know why death is in the world. And when we grow or as we grow older, we more than anyone else should recognize that death approaches and we should be prepared for it. There is something sad in seeing someone age, especially someone who has been struggling for years and yet who refuses to recognize the probability of death, refuses to acknowledge it, refuses to prepare for it. And that's, that's bad when they refuse to prepare for, it, prepare for it in earthly ways. It's even worse if they refuse to prepare for it in spiritual ways. Because Jesus has already told us that we are called to follow his path. 
And that is a path to death and then out again. This is what Jesus is announcing in the first part of our gospel reading as the solution. God has sent his anointed one to set us free from captivity to sin and death. Jesus is that savior. He has died and risen. So we follow him into death and resurrection. There's not another path. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord. That is the good news. He has us. And when we understand that, when we take that in, you are truly prepared for anything. That is sight in the midst of a blind world. In the forgiveness and in the liberty we have in Christ's gracious words, we do have freedom even though we die. The crowd that day is angry that Christ will not do whatever they want him to do. But he has not come to serve them in that way. As if knowing that Jesus is the Christ wasn't the ultimate healing. As we hear this reading, we are to see that. John, at the end of his gospel, says that he writes it explicitly so that people would know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we would have life in his name. This is also what Jesus is teaching and preaching in Nazareth that day. He still graciously proclaims it to us this day. Amen.